0: Welcome to session 18 of the Bible in a Year Commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 18th of January. Today we'll be looking at Exodus 4 to 6 and Psalm 18. But so far in Exodus, we found the Israelites, descendants of Jacob, flourishing in Egypt. However, their increasing numbers sparked fear amongst the Egyptians, leading to their enslavement and the command to kill all firstborn Israelite sons. Despite all this, God's favor is still upon them and they continue, to multiply it's into this context that moses is born placed in a basket in a riverbank he's discovered by pharaoh's daughter and raised in the royal palace his dual identity gives him a unique perspective on the suffering of his people and the privileges of his egyptian society as an adult moses attempts to defend an israelite results in killing an egyptian forcing him to flee to the wilderness here he encounters shepherd girls by a well echoing similar meetings in genesis and marries one of them we then read about the burning bush God revealed to Moses his true name as Yahweh, often translated Lord, and commissioned Moses to liberate the Israelites. This is where we pick up today in Exodus 4 to 6. Moses continues to complain to God that he's not qualified for the job he's been given. So God gives him three signs to show other people so that they will know Moses comes in God's name. Interestingly, the very first sign is based on what is in your hand. That's Exodus 4 verse 2. We can very easily discount ourselves from the call of God by saying we're not good enough or not skilled enough. But if God's called you, then he will equip you. And he may even use what's already in your hand, the things that you can already do. Start with what you've already got and trust that if God's called you, he will make a way. This is also the first time in the Bible we see God get angry. Read Exodus 4 verse 14. We've read about the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah. But here, when God's chosen person tries to reject God's plan, it's the very first time that God is actually described as angry. So what does God do in his anger? He accommodates Moses' requests. He suggests that Moses recruits his brother Aaron to do all the talking so that Moses doesn't have to. God's anger doesn't always work the way we would expect. So it's useful as we read throughout the Bible to make a note of whenever it mentions his anger and when it doesn't. Then we get this weird story where God attacks Moses and his wife is forced to circumcise their children and then throw their foreskins at him. This is very weird. But in the wider context of the book, it makes a little bit of sense. Just before the story, God tells Moses he's going to end up killing all the firstborn sons of Egypt. Then we get this story on the need to be circumcised. The covenant legal contract that god made with abraham many years ago was that that he would be their god and they would be his people a sign for this would be circumcision check back in genesis 17. if moses was serious about representing god he has to keep this covenant we will read later that god gives the israelites some teaching on circumcision as they're preparing to leave egypt after this he claims the firstborn son of all israelites for himself they are to be hits this format is known as a chiasm we've seen chiasms used in the psalms but they're also used in storytelling and even the letters of the new testament it's basically when a part of a story poem or letter mirrors itself so here's a summary of the structure we're looking at but i would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description so you can see the structure properly for yourself and so we start in exodus 4 22 to 23 where god promises to kill firstborn sons then in verses 24 to 26 we get a story on the importance of circumcision We then jump forward to Exodus 12, which we'll get to, 43 to 49, where we get teaching on the importance of circumcision. And then we get Exodus 13, 11 to 15. God claims firstborn sons. It mirrors itself. Besides being a cool little feature, it's there to emphasize the importance of circumcision. Circumcision was a sign that you belonged to God. If you belong to God, you will have life. If not, then you are choosing death. So Moses returns to Egypt and convinces his fellow Israelites that God has sent him. Next, he heads to Pharaoh and the real battle begins. Pharaoh doesn't believe him and the oppression is about to get worse. Moses brings his complaints before God. God is the one that told him to speak to Pharaoh and now things are so much worse. But God reassures Moses. He points to the covenant that he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God had promised to give the land of Canaan to their descendants and he is faithful to his word. The passage then takes a break from the story to recap how we got here. The common way to do this, as we've mentioned before, was through genealogies. As you read each name, it's meant to call to mind the stories that they were part of. On top of that, it shows us how Moses and Aaron fit into this story. The genealogy starts off copying the one we saw in Genesis 46, but when it gets to Levi, it expands through each of his descendants, landing on Moses and Aaron. We are reminded that these two men are the ones chosen to bring God's people out of Egypt. And so then let's look at Psalm 18. This psalm is a royal psalm. Royal psalms are psalms that are focused on either God as king or on a human king. It's attributed to King David, and it's believed that this psalm was written by David when God had delivered him from Saul's hand in 2 Samuel 22. As always, here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly. So we start in verses 1 to 3 with introductory praise. Then in 4 to 6, the psalmist calls out to God. Verses 7 to 15, God's awesome presence comes down. Verses 16 to 19, God protects the psalmist and defeats his enemies. Verses 20 to 36, God is good and generous to the psalmist. Verses 37 to 48, God lifts the psalmist above his enemies to a position of authority. And verses 49 to 50, we get praise to God. Psalmist starts off with praise. He recalls all the time that he seemed he was close to death and he cried out to God. God heard and came down to intervene. The psalmist then uses very visceral language to demonstrate the awesomeness of God's presence. The earth and mountains shake. His anger is like a fierce fire, billowing smoke. He rides on the clouds, which is a common description of God. His voice is like thunder. This great and mighty God protects the psalmist and defeats his enemies. God then generously blesses the psalmist and reveals himself to him. He is loving and true. He strengthens their hand and their feet, training them to be good at will. All of this allows the psalmist to defeat their enemies themselves. Through all this, God exalts the psalmist as king, head over the nation. If the psalmist was David, we can see that he gives God the glory of all the successes he had in life. And so the psalm ends, giving praise to God for his faithfulness and goodness. It's God and his strength that established kings.